0: The Quiet Carriage, a show dedicated to books and their authors, on Main FM 94.9, with your host, Paul J. Laverty. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another edition of The Quiet Carriage, with myself as your host, Paul J. Laverty. Now, Northern Books are a literary events organisation based out of Castlemaine. You might remember we had them on the show towards the end of last year. Now, amongst other things, they are responsible for the hugely popular Books at the Brewery series of events, which are based at the Tap Rooms, home of Shed Shaker Brewing. Now, I'm gonna be catching up once again with the team behind that event towards the end of the show, but first off, we're gonna be replaying one of their events, one of the Books at the Brewery events, uh, it was one they had on before Christmas, featuring the Australian author, now based in France, Tara June Wench. She has a new book out, called The Yield, out now via Penguin, and she was in conversation with Castlemaine's own author, Kirsten Krauth, about that novel, and I'm going to play that for you right now. Now, I'm going to just have a look
1: about at uh, the new book, The Yield, which is absolutely incredible. Um, It it tells the story of a young woman called August Gondarwindi, who's returned home to attend the funeral of her beloved grandfather, Albert Gondarwindi, who she knows as Poppy, in the Australian town of Massacre Plains, a town that is uh, mercifully fictional, but of course um, probably should be the name of several Australian towns. While August has exiled herself elsewhere after the traumatic disappearance of her sister in adolescence, Poppy has been quietly compiling a dictionary for our words, taking pen to paper in his words to pass on everything that was ever remembered. Now his story, told through the extracts in his transcribed voice, tells of dispossession, silencing, and so much more. Spirit, endurance, grace, and hope. Perhaps more hope than we're entitled to we and also Albert's visionary understanding of ancestry. Uh, the book is an incredible window into that world and I am so delighted to be here talking to Tara. So can you just join me in welcome Tara, <laughs> back in 2006, something amazing happened to you. Um, your book, Swallow the Air, was published. It a debut novel. At the time you were 22, you were the sole parent of a five-month-old daughter, and you were suddenly showered with huge acclaim. Um, I understand you were brought up in Wollongong, and you're of um, oratory heritage yourself. Now this book is, uh, the is, a lot of it is about the kind of um, regaining and remembering and transcribing of that language. So would you mind just um, talking to us about uh, how you came to be familiar with the language and what you've kind of discovered on your trails yeah. about that language.
2: Can you hear me okay? Oh, yes. okay. So, um, thanks all for being here. It's my first time to Castle, Maine. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so, Swallow the Air had the night, won the David Unite one award in 2004 and between the award for an unpublished manuscript and publication I'd be driving out to western New South Wales to a sort of country area much like Castlevania and the surrounds. Because I'd grown up on the coast and I was trying to rediscover my father's country where he was taken from his mother and was in a boys home at three years old. And I know that that had to be I had to explore that area and, and, and know it intimately um, to have my character understand her journey going back to country, going back to her father's country and, and trying to find family, which she does in school again. Mm-hmm. So it's taking all these trips out to the countryside and just camping and you know, running your fingers through wheat fields and, and, and touching granite right stone, stuff that I didn't experience at all going up on the coast and I just happened upon quite accidentally a language class that was in an old abandoned church run by Uncle Stan Brent Senior who's the father of the acclaimed journalist Stan Brett. and uh, there was like three people in the class and I took the class and afterwards I wept in the car and it was so, it was such a moving and... um, a healing experience to, to pick up a few words and to feel something that my father was completely disconnected from. And so I bought the big A4 yellow dictionary that they had at the time and there must have been maybe only a hundred words, there's 6,000 that have been reclaimed now i the and the rhythm which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I took this and I used a few words in Sylvia. There's probably six, raucry um, words. And after the book come out, like any writer or any musician, you have that <coughs> regret, self-hatred. I think that it's not as you could have done more if only you've worked on it for another year or probably you'd change that turn phrase. And I had—I really held that regret for ten years—that I didn't illustrate how healing and how much of a balm that was to learn language for my character, mm-hmm. and and for myself through my character. Mm-hmm. And so I just, yeah, it took. So-
1: it's yes, almost like your character in this book though is like ten years older or twelve years older than your character in yeah, yeah, yes, the book yes, She's yeah. 15, isn't Yeah. This character's come back from an exile. It's that beautiful uh, sort of classical shape of someone who's exiled themselves and is trying to return home. And in returning home is just discovering so much so um, like, of what's going on, dispossession yeah. and, you know, loss. The language is at the heart of it. Yeah. That's what I to. Ten years, and during that ten years, I had
2: the mentorship with um, wale Shininka, the Nigerian Nobel laureate. And during that mentorship, it was more—it was really about discovering um, postcolonial writers and discovering how powerful um, language is been as a tool of warfare. There's this great quote by the Kenyan writer. Um, Tiongo, who says, the bullet was the means of the physical subjugation and language was the means of the spiritual subjugation. And when I read those words, it, I knew I had to hold on to that idea of language and sort of run toward the horizon mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And um, create a dictionary and a book which seems really bizarre.
1: Oh no, it works. <laughs> so it's not bizarre, it works incredibly well. In fact, I'm going to ask you to read um, a little bit so we can listen to Albert's voice if that's possible. Could you start with um, number one and then um, move to this next uh, section of the beginning of chapter five? Have a listen to this beautiful voice.
2: So it opens with copy who being compiled in this dictionary to pass on. He knows that um, his death is imminent and he wants to leave something behind as we all do. I was born on Nurembang. Can you hear it? Nurembang. If you say it right it it's the back of your mouth and you should taste blood in your words. Every person around should learn the word for country in the old language, the first language, because that is the way to all time, to time travel. You can go all the way back. My daddy was Gondawindi, and he died a young man by the hands of a bygone disease. My mother was Augustine, and she died an old woman by the grip of, well, it was an old world disease, too. Yet nothing ever really dies. Instead, it all goes beneath your feet, beside you, part of you. Look there, grass on the side of the road, tree bending in the wind, fish in the river, fish on your plate, fish feeding you. Nothing's ever gone. Soon, when I change, I won't be dead. I always memorise John 11:26. whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Yet life rushed through and past me as it will for each person. Before I believed everything they taught me, I thought when all were dead, that all were born. And so, as a young fellow, I tried to find my place in this short life. I only wanted to decide for myself how I'd live it, but that was a big ask in a country that had a plan for me, already mapped in my veins since before I was born. The one thing I thought I could control was my own head. It seemed the most sensible thing to do was to learn to read well. So in a country where we weren't really allowed to be, I decided to be, to get water from the stones, you see. After I met my beautiful wife, although beauty was the least of her, strong and fearless was the most of her. Well, she taught me lots of things big thing, the best thing she taught me was to learn to write the words too. Taught me I wasn't just a second-rate man raised on white flower and Christianity. It was my wife, Elsie, who bought me the first dictionary. I think she knew she was planting a seed, germinating something inside me when she did that. What a companion the dictionary is. There are stories in that book that will knock your boots off. To this day, it remains my prized possession and I wouldn't trade it for all the tea in China. The dictionary from Elsie is why I'm writing it down. It was my introduction to the idea of recording. Written just like the Reverend once wrote our births and baptisms at the mission. Like the station manager wrote rations at the station. And just like the man and masters wrote our good behaviour at the boys' home, a list of words any fool could look up and be told the meaning. A dictionary, even if this language isn't mine alone, even if it's something we grow into and then living long enough, shrink away from. I am writing because the spirit's at urging me to remember, and because the town needs to know that I remember. They need to know now more than ever before, to begin. But there are too many beginnings for us, London Windy. That's what we were bestowed and cursed with by the same shifty magic and eternal once upon a time. The story goes that the church brought time to us and the church, if you let it, will take it away. I'm writing about the other time though, deep time. This is a big, big story. The big stuff goes forever. Time ropes and loops and is never straight. That's a real story of time. The problem now facing my own once upon a time is that Dr. Shah from the High Street Surgery Surgery has recently given me a filthy bill of hope. Cancer of the pancreas, which is me, done and dusted. So because they say it is urgent, because I've got the church time against me, I'm taking pen to paper to pass on everything that was ever remembered. All the words I found on the wind. Yellow-tailed, black, cockatoo. Bilir. Bilir is rolled at the end. The most musical part of the word is the RR. I can't think of any words in Australia like that. But if it was in Scotland, then I could. But i speak with flat tongues there. Bilir is trilled, is a trilled sound. My mouth is dry, so I can't even hold <laughs> it. Is a trilled sound, with the tongue vibrating close to the teeth. The Beer is a magnificent bird, strong, eagle-wise, black as a fire pit. The yellow feathers in the tail are visible in flight. I saw the beer all my life. All the gondom love beer. From Prosperous Farm, my mummy was living in Tent Town, four miles downstream, where she birthed me there on the flat, warm sand below the core of Beer. After Tent Town was flattened, and the mission turned into a station, and me and all the other kids were taken away. I remember walking out into the landing of the boys' home, standing under that sign that used to hang outside. Think white, act white, be white.
1: yielding, I guess, and the different ways that you explore that and unpack that. Um, I was reading about, um, well you mentioned it before, how you were mentor. Um, it's because, and, and Tara's very modest, she, she was given a mentor I received Seaton because she received the International Rolex Mentor and Protégé Arts Initiative Award, which is designed to assist extraordinary rising artists achieve their full potential by pairing them with great masters. So yeah, pressure much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you heard that in 2008, Um, but in that time, you you travelled a lot in the the years after that, and I was wondering if you would mind talking to us about that sense of um, legacy and the need to finish the first work, the work that you began to start with in the first book, because I understand you experienced a fair bit of general impoverishment in those years. and just had to kind of make do and keep on going. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And he actually, in 2008, 2009, when we worked together, this was two years, he predicted in 2009 during an interview, he said, if next year or 10 years from now a book comes out, it would be influenced by what we've talked about. Not what we've worked on, but the, the talking. So it was really mm. about, it wasn't, he did edit me on the line or anything like that which you would want to know what to do he just sort of took me around villages and, and talked to me about life and tried to get me to see a picture mm. and I guess made me realise what that I could never rush whatever I was going to bring out next yeah. that it had to be a legacy and that I couldn't write to the sociological condition that I had to find the characters that would were mine, and so that's why, and yeah, and it, it, it did make it, it, it did come into fruition because it was written for my father, the book. Yes, but equally, the people that were important to me parents, our grandparents, and our children. And I wanted to write that book that was could traverse those generations, that it would equally be a gift to my father to rediscover this language, and he has, yes. And he's using, and he's born back to country, he's moved back to country, and he's using these words now, and and he's happy because he was so sort of broken from, as he would be from growing up in a boy's home and and being removed from family. And so, equally, as a gift to my father, that something that I thought that my daughter could carry through her life. So yeah, I don't know if that answers yeah, the question. It does,
1: yeah. because there's a beautiful thing in the book where um, Albert talks about uh, what he calls time travel, where he has these kind of hallucinatory, beautiful uh, walks with the spirits. You talk to him, yeah. and there is real to him when he's in the boys there's anything else in reality. He still comes out of a trance state, and he's receiving insight, and he's learning new words. And so there's that kind of sense that we do get to converse. traverse,
2: the things yeah. that
1: are, that, you know, we need to endure. That we can, you know, and it moves between generations. It's sort of funny. It's sort of ironic, maybe paradoxically ironic that you won the Rolex watch, and uh, I you need yeah. to sell the Rolex watch. <laughs> yeah, this <is> a, uh, <laughs> but could not keep that. I
2: didn't is, go with my op shop clothes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but also, it's this is about a bigger time, isn't it? This is a bigger kind of legacy. This is about something which has to do with um trying to rediscover something we've been dispossessed of and owning it again. So
2: and and through that I had to tell that time travel was necessary because um I was trying to tell I was trying to go too big and tell this you know story <coughs> of an entire country and well we did keep saying go small, go small, go smaller, go mm. smaller and find those mm-hmm find those characters that you're speaking to rather than that social, logical condition rather than the whole of the country trying to write to that, it's impossible I think young writers do that they become so ambitious, they to put everything in a book mm-hmm. and so when I compacted um, the whole of the story into the metaphor of five hundred acres of land on massive planes I needed to tell if I was going to tell the story of these people the Wiradjuri people, the Gondolindi family in those 500 acres. Then I knew, I couldn't just tell one episode in history, but I had to tell all history, so all time existing on those 500 acres. And had to have them um, be the time traveler and have him revisit the ancestors and mm-hmm. then to show him the landscape and, and to almost become an initiated man through his life, and, and for them to visit him at the boy's home and call him out to the river and the river would just appear. Those things all had to had to had to be there, really fluid, because the idea of dream time is that all time exists in sort of, in the now. The past and the future exists in the now, and so in writing about. Um, Having about all time on the page on the way from that was having that element of magical realism. Yes, yeah. And then having the granddaughter who inherited all that, which is all August's um, third 3rd person chapters that is is almost like a river, or hoped like a river. And she's telling the contemporary action, what's happening now to that same 500 acres of land. And then of course, having those two family stories it was so necessary that I then have the Reverend Brinkley, who, yeah, who's, who built the mission on say 500 acres square in the 1880s, and he's writing and have, you know, his story is in Turk time, have cold, hard facts, have that um, reference back to date sitting side by side against um, time travel and.
1: Yeah, absolute magic I thought it was really um necessary. It was beautiful and well tell us about Reverend Bradley. He's someone who is a hopelessly compromised man. He has every good intention to try and help the natives, as it calls, and they to set up something which is going to be sustainable because he's watching terrible mistreatment of Australian Aboriginal people as he's he's come to the country and his own story is actually tragically ironic, isn't it? Would you mind talking a bit about that?
2: I make it that way. Tells, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't want to, I wanted to flip the villain on its head with um, the Reverend. Because when I did my research and looked at different mission you know, station managers or, or missionaries, there's such a sense of um, doing good. There was such an idealism attached to, to some of the diary entries. And I think that I wanted to sort of write to that Australian citizen still today that believed that the removal of children from families was for their own good, because there are those people that exist in Australia now in, in our society, and I sort of wanted them to sort of be lulled into his um, his virtuosity, and to then and then just hit them over the head, really quite delicate, like them around and over the head. So I needed to have him, a Lutheran dictionary and I needed him to be writing these letters to, um, to an anthropologist for to, him to sort of, s- to question everything that is done. A little bit like probably you've got these two male, um, first person, one's writing a dictionary of, of his life, and his people's lives, and the other is writing um, a serialized letter. And I needed him to be Lutheran writing the letter in nineteen fifteen mm-hmm. as then a persecuted being persecuted for his mother tongue and reflecting on him not allowing the Retro people of the country to straddle those two cultures and, and you know, really um, not allowing him to speak a mother tongue. So and, he becomes in turn himself. Yeah. Because of World War One.
1: So this incredibly carefully dovetail story. It's not a spoiler, I don't know. It's it. not a spoiler, <laughs> <laughs> um. oh, I <shit>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Now, August, the young exile woman who returns for Poppy's funeral and to try and just make peace, I suppose. Is even a word for making peace with yourself. Um, returns to Masculine Plains. She finds her early grandmother in the process actually of literally being evicted because speculators have found tin deposits under that 500 acres. And the impoverished town of Massacre Plains just can't wait to welcome in uh, a giant mining corporation because it'll be jobs for all and money for all. Um, this latest dispossession of course comes after the long history of theft of land, of culture, and of children. And this grandmother character is grief stricken and she's exhausted and she's sick to death of tokenism and she's ready to give up. Um, I was wondering if you could speak about that sense of fatigue, I suppose, and sorrow and loss and how that reality steers the story to something which actually ends up being incredibly uh, rich and hopeful. I just found it so beautifully constructed and skillful. How do you kind of reconcile all of those Terrible realities and those elements that take over people's lives, with how people find their feet and keep going.
2: I think that was the flip side of the yield because it's on that with the title, it's on agricultural land, and it refers a lot to uh, it refers again and again to the um, to the food and the nourishment that came from the land, and then the yield, also the giving in. And so I think the grandmother figure is—I think it's really easy to be when you're isolated to give in to a cause that you know that is right and, and virtuous. When you're without your family or without your um, tribe, without your people that are that are moving towards the greater good, it's easy then to give in it, 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 to be. You know, lulled into the heat and to the oppression and to the. You know, she's an older woman. She's lived through. Um, she met um, Poppy, her husband, during the 1969 Charlie Perkins bus tour around country New know, South Wales. Sorry, jet That's country New South Wales, and so she's. Yeah, I think. Oh. Easy for her to give in because of her isolation and because of um caring so much. So that you know, that great inheritance, that great awful inheritance that she's had from her family. And so it isn't until well, I don't want to give Ray the bulk, but yeah. she needs her family to return to
1: feel straight again. That's with any family, any any person. Um. So I might get you, if you wouldn't mind, just to read a couple more of these meanings because Albert does talk about that idea of yield. So if you wouldn't mind reading the yield one, and then um, if you wouldn't mind reading The, the amazing part about the dictionary is Albert's story gets told um, not in kind of statement or declarative, you know, um, explanation but in these kind of sideline descriptions that sort of come about Incidentally, because of what he's describing, so if you wouldn't mind just reading really Yield and then a couple of other lives at the top right here. We'll that get one. Here. Yep.
2: Yep. Yield. Bend the feet. Tread as in walking. Also long, tall, banana. Yield itself is a funny word. Yield in English is the reaping the thing that man can take from the land, the thing he's waited for and gets to claim, a weak yield. In my language, it's the things you give to, the movement, the space between things. It's also the action made by bending, because sorrow, old age and pain bend and yield. The bodies of the ones that have passed were buried with every joint bent, even if the bones had to be broken. I think it was a bend in humiliation just like we bend in our knees and bow our heads bend, yield, banyana, beautiful. The blood of trees saved some of the Bondamindi. When we were being gathered up to be taken away and taught the Bible and to be trained as labourers and domestic servants, my great aunties were frightened and ran, tried to hide their light skinned babies in the bush. Some did get away and were never seen again, and some couldn't leave in time and disguise their babies as full blood by painting them dark with a dyalbu. Some of them were later captured. They wander around a river that appears when I travel with the ancestors. They are blood and sap-soaked, hiding in plain sight now, but still frightened. Say, speak, tell, yara. I asked Dr Shah to yara. Tell me all the bad news. He obliged. No worries, I said to him when he offered the place it. Broken hospice. I'll be leaving the world the same way I came in out by the river. He didn't much argue with me, just a few minutes. I think he because he may have had to, but that fellow has loaned me a long time. So we settled it like men and shook hands, and he let me go on my way. Elsie's been crying since we got back to Prosperous. So I took her beautiful face in my hand, softly, and I said, aren't you glad you met a fine bloke like me? She nodded, even if she was crying and laughing at the nerve of me. I would have died happy the day I met you else, and now we have all this other time together. Aren't we lucky, I said. And then we kissed and hugged and kissed and hugged, until she came around to the fact that we're still alive now still in each other's arms. When she was peaceful again, I came outside to finish my work. Scale the fish, guinamara. The ancestors taught me all the things I wasn't taught at the boys' time. They taught me men's business. They taught me where to find food, the names and uses of all the plants and animals. My favorite was eating the freshwater eel and the muraki mur- 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 cod. You can put the eel or fish whole just as it is on the hot coals and break into the skin when it's done. You can put it on its side and you can scale and gut it with a sharp knife sharp knife first. You can take the back of the knife and scrape the scales toward the head and wash it and then leave the head or leave the head on completely. From under the tail to the top of the stomach, cut along and then remove the insides, wash it again. The skin will just come away when it's cooked. If you eat the fish, it's important to know how <coughs> to treat it after it's died for you.
1: <coughs>
2: My nana, because I come from a family of fisher fisher people and gardeners, vegetable gardeners. And she said everyone knows how to scale a fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was smiling. You can put that in. I Some people don't. <laughs> Scars or marks, little holes left by smallpox. gul gum, Lots of the ancestors who visited me had this on their bodies. Not everyone, but plenty did. What's that? I said when I was little and hadn't yet learnt not to ask someone about something different on their face or body. One of my great-aunts said, it was Galdong, Galdong. And then she drew a picture at the end of a stick from the fire. She drew it up in the sky above her talking, and all the stars beholden to help her draw out her story. She told me sickness came in the wind, the shepherds, and the wool of their sheep. And it was a cold time then. Every day and every night was chilly cold, even with the sun out. Everyone was going through the shivers. They couldn't speak about it neither because their mouths were filled with blisters even though they hadn't eaten hot things straight from the fire. And then some of them couldn't see because the blisters flew in their eyes too, see? The smallpox were all over their feet and their hands and their face but not much everywhere else. So it was hard to walk or touch things or eat. Impossible to see. Well, everyone got sick then, and many people died, she said. Forever, I asked, and she said, never forever. But it was still not the right time to go for so many babies and nennies and puppies, the weak ones, the old people, old people with mouths filled still with things they needed to teach. It's sad, I said, and great auntie said, you tell, tell them I told you and then I'll never do things like that again. I asked her, who do I tell? And she said, just tell the truth and someone will hear it eventually. I guess this is what I'm doing finally.
1: Tara, <laughs> tell us about uh, your family and and what their response has been to this year.
2: My daughter's almost 14, so she's not interested yet, And I don't know, we're kind of, we're like, not, we're like blue collar working class, housing commission, Mm -hmm. no one's graduated university, so if you do something like write a book, yeah, yeah, stop (laughs) bragging. (laughs) 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 but, um, and Dad's like that, but I know that his girlfriend is a reader. He's got this new girlfriend that he met by the river in, on Nuremberg recently. Yes. And she's a reader, which is incredible. And she, yeah, she has got the audiobook and plays it. He plays it and listens to it. And he wouldn't tell me, you know, if I'm proud of you. That's not how we do it. But he's been reading the words and learning. He says, "Gaja. Gaja means it's like get the fuck out." <laughs> That's his favourite word. So, <laughs> that means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: expression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what's what's in the future for you now? What what are you <coughs> turning your <coughs> to you now?
2: <coughs> I feel, feel like this is a huge Love letter to my family and my country. It really is because I don't feel like um, I feel like it's very hopeful. I've read heaps of sad stuff, but I feel like this. I wanted it to be hopeful. I didn't want it to be didactic, Um, and it's. I feel like it needs its own time, and Mm so I I won't write about Australia for a few years. The next book set in Switzerland.
1: Mm (laughs) You're living in France at the moment. Yeah. So you're just taking your inspiration from all around you and, and it was super hard
2: to write these because I was writing in English and Baradri and learning poetry and also trying to write in my best English. It's not that you flew it in a you know sure. a language, even in English, but to write in it, to find that perfect word you've got to be in it completely. Yeah. And so I had to really push out French from around me. I wouldn't really talk to people in the street, really stuff, and then out time mostly turned to English. But then, um, but writing most of it, like a good half of it from France was, was hard in many ways, but in, this, in the same way, where does Whatever I drew from was really limited. I couldn't go outside my house and 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 hear the bird song or smell the euphid or touch the granite or whatever it was. And so what you what I drew on from memory was so um, was the stuff that really burned you. So it became I think um, I only drew on the most poignant, most burning sort of imagery of what Australia was. And then when I was really stuck, I thought, um there's these amateur, there's probably some in the room, there's these amateur bird watchers who put on four five hour long videos on YouTube. <laughs> and it's just a camera, and then if you're lucky, a your bird comes in the frame. <laughs>
3: made
2: like part of a YouTube experiential landscape Yeah, yeah. I just, I just listened to it because you can hear that.
1: Yeah, that and good. even
2: maybe it took a few months to come up with um, five words that were like the book that of the bush. And I can't even remember them essentially. But it was. Uh, I do. And maybe it's not even. I don't know. Maybe you was a writer. No. Ciccada friction yes. and bird whip,
1: that no, took months, that's yeah. why it took so long. With the language in the book, I have to say before we finish up, I absolutely love this. Um, it was like a feast to fall into, do you know what I mean? It was like this most beautiful talk about being immersive and trying to create a language that puts yourself back into your a place first. There's that extra bonus gift of you could someone else in that place as well, where that kind of that world, it isn't just about language either. It's about that visual world that you create, um, that is just so beautiful. I really feel like this is the thing. If you're worried about what to get for Christmas present, and she's <laughs> here in the room, my goodness! you can sign it. In fact, instead of question and answer tonight, Tara um, and I were saying it's going to be great. if Instead of that come up and have a young. Yeah. come up and have a talk, um, get a book and have a leisurely time having a chat. Uh, but just before we do finish up, um, I hope you don't mind me constantly asking Tara to read aloud from this, but I really want to give you this feeling of this. Um, and I just was glancing through the book again today and I have to say I had a little bit, of, a little bit tearful uh, because the end of the book, um, coming out of where we are at the moment in this country where we are on fire, We have no leadership, we are leaving a legacy which is just incredibly disempowering. Um, All of those things, it was a beautiful experience to um, listen to the voice of Albert. Um, Just, it felt a very soothing thing and I felt his presence, and I was wondering if you would just read for us to finish up um, the last page, the, the last section of the book
2: artist but well, because he's going backwards mm-hmm. um, English words are first and he doesn't have a Z there's not a Z word in his alphabet and so it starts with Y and the English words go all the way back so that's why there's artist at the end but then there's a, an appendix dictionary where Wiradjuri um, words are first where I read their English to sort of honour the, every kid, the break to put it together. Mm. Artists, Bandanyami. What a wonderful thing to make something. I saw a painting in a book. It's called Dialogas Street. Is that right? Oh. It's not the average one. It's called... Someone can correct me afterwards. It's D-L-U-G-A. No? Okay, Dialga Street. It was painted by a Barignani called Bernardo Bellotto. He was an Italian fellow. He painted the city of Warsaw, Poland. There were 26 of them in a star called the Duke. He made those paintings detailed lives of the people and the city, and he passed away just a handful of years before Australia was invaded. <coughs> Almost 200 years later, the Nazis bombed Warsaw, killing hundreds and thousands of people. Horrible annihilation. In this dark time, almost the entire city of Warsaw was burned and destroyed. The people left were thinking about moving the city somewhere else, rebuilding a new Warsaw. But then they had all these paintings of the city these great detailed things by the artist, Bernardo Bellotto, and they rebuilt the city from the paintings done generations before it was born to bits. I want the younger ones, the next little ones, to read this book, and for them to look into the riverbed, to stare up to the tops of the guns, to look and know and name the birds, To recognize
1: that city that no one seems to see anymore, I wouldn't be invisible anymore. None of us
4: would be. Drop some knowledge on you. Yeah, we're kind of all in a world really where you know everybody's talking and nobody's listening. But thanks so much for your attentive listening, listeners. So listening is an art that requires attention over talent, spirit over ego, others over self. Because listening is practice, it takes work, it takes effort and concentration, and that is a gift that you can you can offer the people around you.
2: Main
1: FM. Lifehouse are designers of simple, serene buildings. We craft spaces and forms that are sympathetic to the environment in which we live and to the needs of our clients, that connect with the eye, mind and soul. Our firm of designers focus on the best energy-efficient outcomes, producing beautiful, unique buildings. Contact us to discuss your project. You can find us at lifehousedesign.com.au. Lifehouse Design, creating smaller footprints. Award-winning passive solar design and a proud supporter of Main FM. All the gear but no idea? Tennis Australia's Open Court Sessions are a great way to meet new
2: people and play social tennis. With a killer soundtrack. 90-minute sessions include on and off-court time. On-court? Different tennis activities to the music of your choice. Off-court? You'll make new friends over a drink
0: or a bite to eat. The best bit? Just show up and your local tennis club will host the night. You don't need any equipment or any tennis skills. Just come and have a hit. Wednesdays from 29th of January, 6.30 to
4: 8pm. Book online at play.tennis.com.au Open Court Sessions. Russell Lawn Tennis Club. A proud
5: sports with Maine FM.
0: There we heard Taryn June Wench discuss with uh, Kirsten Crowth, um her latest novel, The Yield, I don't know, on Penguin Books, and that was recorded last December at Brooks at the Brewery event. In between there, we also heard some music. It was Jess Ribeiro with her track Hurry Back to Love, and Cash Savage and The Last Drinks with Find You*. And now we have Kristen. And Graham from Northern Books, right here in the studio. Guys, thank you so much for coming back in to talk to us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for us. having us, yeah. No worries. Also, thank you for letting us replay just then your fabulous interview with Tara June Wench, which was at the taproom just before Christmas. Um, it was fantastic. It was, it was so busy as well, right before Christmas. It was sure amazing
5: was. to see so many people out that week before Christmas. You know, we'd said to Tara... You know, we'd love to have you up. Hopefully, we'll get a good crowd. But it's the week before Christmas. We were blown away. Yep. Yeah, Sorry. you always about.
0: hope, but it uh, really pulled off well, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, it was great, yeah. So, we had you on last year. I think it was around November. And just for our listeners that maybe didn't listen to that one. So, your literary events organisers and booksellers. Um, you had a really big year last year. Some of the names you had. <laughs> I think Corey White, currently reading his book. Very dark, very disturbing, but very good. Yeah. know you had Compelling. him. Yeah. And I always get the last name wrong. Blanche Delpugier. Del That's Del Puget, right. Yeah. And was Kerry O'Brien last year or was that the Harry year O'Brien before? Kerry O'Brien was the year before. Year before. Yeah.
5: Don't know, year <laughs> Why don't Why we both? That. The, yeah. Even, no, it was the last Yeah, anyway, right. not last year.
0: <laughs> right. And I guess while, while we've got you in, what's, what's coming up for this year?
5: Kicking off with some really great um, books at the Brewer events with some um, newbie authors. Yes. Um, Sean O'Byrne is right. a Melbourne writer and actually he's a bookseller as well. Mm-hmm. Um, coming up to speak about his um, collection of short stories called A Couple of Things Before You Go. Right. Hi. Um, And he is also a performer, so he won't be in conversation with anybody. He'll be Mm -hmm. doing that as um, a a kind of talking slash performing piece. So I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be great.
0: Yeah, great. And that's February... And
5: that's February the 25th. 25th, yes. The week before that, um, just to throw a spanner in the works, our... Children's arm of the business, mm-hmm. the Kids Bookshop, is doing a an event for teachers, parents, and librarians called mm-hmm. "Top t- Tips for Developing Readers." Yes, and um, that's um, that's a newbie for us. That's something that we haven't done before. It's okay. at the Tap Room too. Again, same format, mm-hmm. great speakers, great books, mm-hmm. um, and have a pizza and a beer or wine while yeah. you're listening to the great speakers. And
0: who would that suit? Who's that aimed? We uh, put a call out to all the primary schools for you know, parents. Teachers, librarians to um to come along and you know.
5: Primary school age. It'll it'll be recommendations and, mm. and ideas for developing readers who are preschool or primary school age. Mm-hmm. So everybody is welcome to come mm. who is in that kind of category. Yep. After after that in March we've got Camelbird Bird coming on. Oh who most brilliant. people will know.
0: Yeah, we've had her on the show, yeah.
5: Yeah local writer and she'll be talking about her new book called a field of poppies yes we're looking forward to that that's in um that will be on march the 11th which is our what we're saying international women's week right you know um so she'll be our celebrated women woman writer of yep. the week of the month yeah fabulous after that we've got a debut author vivian fam And she's got a book called Coconut Children. Right. She's Vietnamese. Right. And a young, really young female writer. So we're looking forward to hearing from her too. Excellent. And then another local writer. We're really looking forward to having Kirsten Krauth in April as well. Yes. um, With her new book, Almost a Mirror. Yeah. And that's also going to be lots of fun because she's got a musician friend coming to do that event with her. So it'll be a real mix of music and words and... And Michelangelo. Literature. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: Michelangelo. great. Yeah. It's uh, on Transit Lounge, I think. Have you read the book yet? I haven't read it yet. I've got yeah. my copy
5: there ready to, that's to great. get into. It would be great yeah. to
0: get her on the show.
5: Yes, she would be great. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. It was and shortlisted for the Penguin Literary Prize last right. year, so it's great to see it published. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. So that's a sneak peek.
0: Brilliant. And how can we get tickets? Are they um, if people
5: just go to our our website. Yep. Mm -hmm. Northernbooks.com.au.
0: (laughs) As simple as that, yeah. (laughs) We've got all the uh, try booking information as uh, as the events come along, we put them up ahead of time and people can click away and and book. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Great venue, great pizza, great beer, great authors. What more do you really need out of life?
5: It's a winning combo. (laughs) If only life was like that all every other week. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And uh yeah, it would be wonderful if we could also maybe play a little uh, sneak peek of uh some of those interviews as well. Absolutely lovely show. to be
5: you know, joining us and recording and bring it out to the general public. It'd be great.
0: Brilliant. Gets me out the hose. <laughs> Thank you so much guys for coming down. And yeah, to our listeners, I do urge you to get along. It really is a fabulous event. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys, talk to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Bye bye.
3: Still alive. But don't repeat what I just said Until gold turn turned to lead Then all the tales will be told Whilst you and I are in the cold But don't think this is the end Cause it's just become my friend and when it's done And all this is gone Just by a feeling, pass it on For every tear cried in shame There'll be someone else to blame And every crime that I commit There'll be a punishment to fear But I'd accept what's coming round If I could only lose this sound That's been ringing in my ears And tormenting me for years When it's done And all this is gone Just find a feeling i
0: That was The Coral with Pasiton. And that's all we have time for this week. A big thank you to Northern Books for allowing us to play that interview with the author Tara June Winch. And next week, uh, please join me. Same time, same place. In the meantime, you can keep up to date on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also listen to these episodes on demand on Spotify and Google Podcasts. If you just go to my website, pauljlaverty.com, it's all there. Until next time, keep reading.
1: In the heady days of the gold rush, Castlemaine was home to no less than 14 breweries. When the gold dried up, so did the beer. Shed Shaker Brewing is bringing beer home to Castlemaine. We've created a range of fresh, hand-crafted, small-batch craft beers brewed with passion and dedication. You can choose from 10 taps of lager, IPA and more at the Tap Room on Walker Street, open Tuesday to Sunday with live music every Friday night and Sunday Arvo and delicious gourmet pizza from Thursday. Stop by and say hi to Doug, Jacqueline and the team at Shed Shaker Brewing, a proud sponsor of Main FM. no agenda, music, interviews, mostly music, Saturdays noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM, make it your soundtrack for Saturday.